Welcome to Culture Factor. I'm your producer and host, Holly Shannon. Our new season looks at creators, innovators, and entrepreneurs. Why? Because the creator and gig economy is emerging. Talent has gone to work for themselves. The new year starts with the 101, or the beginner guide, for NFTs, blockchain, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, and all those metaverse and Web3 topics we keep hearing about. We are all going back to school on Culture Factor to understand this decentralized economy. From creator coins to the tax implications of selling crypto, let's unpack these emerging technologies in really simple terms. Join me and feel free to send in your questions. Would your brand like to sponsor Culture Factor? It is your opportunity to be a part of a podcast that is ranked in the top 2% globally and heard in over 89 countries. Email holly at hollyshannon.com. Subscribe to Culture Factor and share with a friend now. Okay, let's start with our class. Let's get our next guest on. Hello, Culture Factor family. Today I have Alexander Amarte with me, and he is the producer of Antara, a Hollywood epic that is the first major movie in history to be funded via NFTs. The Antara movie NFT by Arabian Camels has ushered in a new paradigm shift that is setting a whole new culture in the world of Hollywood, finance, NFTs, and DeFi. So let's get into that paradigm shift. Hello, Alexander. Welcome to Culture Factor. Thanks for having us. Starting with Hollywood um, and the making of a movie, can you share the difference between a classical model of producing a movie versus an NFT model? And then once you can kind of share with us that difference, um, would this be considered fractional NFTs because they're buying fractions of something? Uh, so with regards to the traditional model versus the NFT model, the key word is freedom. And, you know, one thing as a creative, if you want to, if you have a vision, you really don't want that creativity infringed upon or, or you don't want to be dictated to in terms of how you have to bend or, or shape shift in terms of uh, fitting into a distributor's model and things like that. And uh, a lot of the time with traditional film financing, you have to go through the hoops of, um, you know, you have to find the cast, you have to have a director, you have to have finance in place, those three things. And when you go to a, a director, they'll say, do you have the money? When you go from, to the financiers, they'll say, do you have the cast? When you go to the cast, they'll say, do you have the, the finance or the director? And this is sort of triangular, uh, uh, exhausting sort of uh, pattern that people have to go through. Whereas, um, and then with regards to getting the finance and distribution, um, a lot of the time they're pretty particular on what they want to distribute. And because they are the ones sometimes helping with the money, um, they dictate too much. Uh, but with NFTs, you can co-create with your community. You can have an, you can amass a community of 5,000 people, 10,000 people, 100,000 people. And there's a lot of power in numbers. And it also gives the, you know, the artist and the creator and the producer freedom to produce what he wants um, without being dictated to. Well, now you have a lot of stakeholders, your community, <laughs> a lot more so, right? Um, but different. Um, so yeah. what part, uh, would they play? And, uh, just to go back to the question, would they be buying like a fractional NFT, uh, in, in the process? So it's not so much a fractional NFT. So the way we've done this is, I mean, that could be done, but the way we did it is we've got an NFT, which is an Arabian camel 
And we stuck with the image of an Arabian camel to stay true to the brand. And we've got big plans, obviously, for the future and, you know, for, for uh, strength to strength and, and different sort of strategies we're, we're, we're doing over the years. Um, so we have issued an NFT collection. And if you own one of those NFTs, you get to have access to own rights of the movie. So that's very different than uh, fractionalized ownership of, of the movie. But I see where you're coming from. It's, it's, uh, it sounds like it's fractionalized. But people own an NFT, which has a, a life in of itself, like a board ape. It's got its own rarity. It's got its own artwork. It's got its own value in of itself. You know. Um, but part of the utility of owning one of these NFTs is being attached to the IP of the movie as well, being affiliated with the IP of the movie. So they're separate in that respect. That's very cool. So affiliated with the IP of the movie. So that kind of brings me to democratization. Um, so this provides like a democratization model where it's available to all. Um, you know, the language behind blockchain and NFTs is decentralization. So it's accessible to all. Um, so, you know, part of your bio talks about DeFi. Could you maybe describe that in, in relevant to democratization and decentralization? So the whole idea behind, you know, the Arabian Camels to start with was, yeah, the whole democratization and decentralization of the movie space, because historically, you know, most people have never been on a movie set. They've never been involved in it. And it's quite a magical industry uh, behind the scenes and uh, in many respects. And, you know, now anybody can really get access to own piece of the movie. Whereas before it was just, you know, let's say the, the, the financiers or the studios. And this makes movies accessible to everyday people a lot more. With the communication you have with Web3, with Clubhouse, with Twitter Spaces, with Discord, it's allowing you to interact with five, 10, 15,000 people in a way that was impossible before. So the fact that that many people can congregate for a single cause, uh, you know, by themselves is, is really interesting. And a lot can be done with that. So democratizing that sense, decentralizing the sense that usually you have to do things through Hollywood and you have to go through the Hollywood model and you have to play by the rules. And, you know, but with this model, if you can finance together as a community, then, you know, that power is effectively taken away from, from Hollywood, so to speak. And this is not a this is not a uh, anti-Hollywood uh, or anti-established sort of movement by any means. It's just there's things that we all love about the movie business and there's things that we hate about the movie business. And there's things that we're not going to miss about the movie business as we go into this whole Web3 era. So rather than being sort of an anti-Hollywood thing, it's just, you know, taking the meat and throwing the bones and having a new system where we can do things a lot cleaner, a lot more efficiently, quicker, without the jumping through the hoops and things like that. I'd love to just go back in time a, a little bit. What What is your history in the movie industry? Because you, I, if I recall correctly, like that wasn't your background. Correct, yeah. So my background is equities and uh, corporate finance. And whilst I was in that space, I did some corporate finance on the movie side. So that was my sort of uh, route into the movie side, more from a commercial background, which is good because a lot of people who are in the movie space are, you know, creatives. A lot of the time they lack the commercial prowess and that sort of corporate spine to enable them to make strong business decisions. They've got great ideas, but it's really important to have a sort of a commercial uh, uh, balance, you know. Um, so I, um, this is why coming from that background, I teamed up with um, Stuart Sutherland. He just finished Gerard Butler's movie, Kandahar, $50 million movie they did in the desert. Um, 
you know, the whole idea with a project like this, is you have to bring t- together top tier, uh, top rated pedigree people to to make sure that the, the movie is done at a high standard. Otherwise, what you're going to get is people coming into the NFT space saying, I've got an idea. I want to make a movie. They raise five, ten million dollars and then they end up spending on cav- caviar. And, you know, they just don't do what needs to be done because they don't have the experience. So my angle in with this was sort of, you know, I put the script together with professors of Arabic literature from Oxford, Cambridge. And, um, you know, it's a true story. So, you know, if you study in Oxford or Cambridge now, you still study the literary works of this character, Antara. So I put it together, got the schedule, the budget, the script done, things like that, and then put together these producers and director. And, um, and, and that's sort of where I stop in terms of, you know, after the NFT campaign, it's the producers who uh, really sort of take charge of the of the project and, and see it through to fruition. Were you able to reach back into some of your finance contacts um, to maybe be a part of this? Because you're able to sort of bridge that gap between helping them understand their place in in your movie and in the NFT Web3 world? Um, it's available. And remember, even aside from the NFTs, uh, all of the traditional financing models are still available. Even our distributors, we, we met recently um, and they said, with or without NFTs, this movie works. You know, a, a, a black lead, a hero born in the desert, ancient epic. You know, we haven't had a good epic since Troy Gladiator. So as a movie, it works anyway. Mm-hmm. But we can do it through NFTs, so why not? Let's do it and, and make history by being the first major to sort of do this. Um, and with respect to like going through to, to old clients one by one, it's very Web 2-ish, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole idea of Web 3 is you can reach masses of 15, 20, 50,000 people uh, through the internet, congregate together on Twitter spaces, discuss things together, plan things together. That's the whole idea of Web 3, right? So... Yes, the old system is available if we need to fall back on it in any capacity, but um, we want to go all Web3 as, you know, as, as Web3 as we can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, you talked about uh, some of the uh, flashy stuff that happens in the business. And I did notice on your roadmap that you have utilities like Ferraris and gold bars and things like that being released into the community. So... I, what I'd love to do is I'd love to dissect all of that a little more. I personally believe like the magic is in the utility and the roadmaps for projects, provided that uh, they actually come to fruition, right? Because, you know, a lot of people can talk about a, a lot of NFT projects fail because they're, they're creative and the work is beautiful, but they make a lot of promises they can't fulfill. Um, so... How did you build out these features and perks? Because like people are also going to get an opportunity uh, to like be in your movie, be a part of the creative process. There's like massive giveaways. So I'm going to certainly invite you to share with us a little bit some of these stops along your the road in your map, um, because I might not be articulating the exact item. Um, but can you share with us like how you are able to do this? Um, is that sort of like a nod to how the industry has always worked to try and keep it interesting? I know there's a lot of questions there, but I think you can yeah, no, navigate I, I where I'm headed. Yeah, so, I mean, with the NFT space, you're expected to give giveaways, and they have to be fun. I mean, other than, uh, uh, you know, we don't want to make it too transactional, where it's just, you know, this for that. And, you know, the whole idea of community engagement is there's fun, there's, enter- you know, not entertainment, but there's fun, there's, there's you know, um, 
you know, activities along the way. And sometimes we add things to our roadmap to make it, you know, more fun. Like last year, uh, camel racing wasn't on our roadmap. We added camel racing. We added camel breeding where people can breed two NFTs and get a baby NFT, things like that. And as the market changes and trends change, new opportunities come available to add value to your community and utility. And um, with regards to the Lamborghini giveaway and the Rolexes and things like that, again, you know, this is just a celebratory giveaway, just something to give back to the community because they're obviously, you know, facilitating, uh, helping to facilitate this whole production. So um, to get something like an NFT, uh, sorry, like a Lamborghini is, you know, that's a celebratory giveaway once the collection is sold out. And we've budgeted and forecasted to be able to, you know, add things on the end to give back to the community. Um, and, you know, it's not a, you know, we want to be a very visual project. We're going to have lots of behind the scenes. We're going to bring people location scouting um, on set with cast and crew. Some people will get a part in the movie. Um, and we want to be very visual about all of this. You know, most NFT project leaders are anonymous. They're, you know, nobody knows who they are. It's all behind closed doors. You don't even know if it's going to be a scam or things like that. So we thought, you know, let's make this a, a visual project where there's lots of social media, lots of videos, lots of interviews. And it gives people an, an opportunity to sort of get behind the scenes of a movie. What's actually involved? How do you produce it? How do you finance it? What do you need from the distributors? How do you do casting? We're even going to do casting with some of our community members and things like that, just for fun. And to, you know what I mean? So um, you have to have a, a well-pronounced uh, roadmap to make sure that there's lots of activity along the way, as well as the ultimate goal of, of, of the movie. I love that. Sorry, I got the car wrong. Um, <laughs> um, I, I love that you are paying attention to the the conversation around doxed and undoxed, which for my community is basically being able to know who the people are involved in the project versus them being sort of this mysterious entity with a, you know, an AKA name and, you know, no face and no way to trace anything that they're doing, uh, which can be really scary to people when they're investing their own Bitcoin or fiat because, um, you know, it, it feels like it could just, the, ru the rug could be pulled, the bottom could fall out at any second. Um, and it's can be scary. So I love that you're being a thousand percent transparent through the process. It's important. It's important. And uh, I think, you know, everybody thinks this NFT space is all about just artists and digital artists. And, you know, they were just the first to really drive this space and give it definition. And like those projects last year, the profile pictures of 0.04 ETH and things like that, they're a necessary process because it's very educational. It allowed everybody to get to terms with what is, a, you know, what is MetaMask, what is ETH, how to buy an NFT, why to buy an NFT, things like that. But remember, all of these other professionals are coming in from the Web3 era. Stockbrokers, traders, shipbuilders, shipping people, real estate. Um, you know, studio, ex-studio people, directors, producers, all of these people are coming in and they're not going to be hanging around in Discord, you know, chatting all day and, you know, meme culture and all this type of thing. They're actually going to come in and use the space for what, it, what the potential that it's, you know, that it uh, possesses. And what I'm excited about is people coming in with that experience to bring 10, 20, 30 years of their heritage and their experience into it mm. to make it more blue chip. So all these projects of last year, a lot of them, are, I think, in the future, will think, how, did the, how the heck did we buy some of these NFTs? And, you know, but they're a necessary educational process, I think, to go through. What and, is this, um, that, this starting price at that? Sorry. 
at, at what our project? Yeah, for the for the NFT. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. For the Antaro Mizzy NFT. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so it's one eighth uh, for the whitelist. It's half an eighth, um, okay. but yeah, for the price is one eighth. And people did initially think, "Wow, like, why is it so expensive?" I definitely think that going forward, as NFT projects get more sophisticated and you get more of this professionalism coming in from the corporate world, and by corporate, I don't mean uh, you know centralized world. I mean just the experience that people bring. You could see NFTs being five ETH each at the mint price, ten ETH, fifty ETH. Why? Because the projects they're actually building and creating are actually doing something. And there is actually some value to be had there. You know what I mean? So 0 0.04, it's 0 0.04 for, for a reason, you know, um, a lot of the time. I don't, want, I don't want to discredit other projects that have great ideas with comics and graphic novels, and things like that, or, or even lower budget movies that might be just doing something with half a million. That's mm -hmm. easy to do with a 0 0.04 ETH project. Um, but yeah, it's an exciting time. There's, there's lots of innovations flooding the space and people are clamoring into the space. So it's going to change shape a lot, I think. You know, like a baby when it's born, it changes every like two weeks, three weeks, four weeks it looks different, six weeks it looks different. Um, it's like that with the NFT space, I think, for the next sort of three years until you actually get to see what's going on. What I personally love that I'm seeing is that um, Web3 actually reminds me more of early days web two and for somebody with more experience in corporate like yourself and and, and me um the original way of connecting people now i know we're using social audio to do it because you know we've had pandemics and you know th certain things have grown because of that but the level of connection and networking happening whether it be on a Discord channel, a Facebook group, um, a Telegram, any of these channels, um, to me, I, it's almost reminding me of like old school networking um, because there was so much value in really getting to know people and spending time learning about projects and ideas and iterating and I don't know if you see this, um, you know, just the fact that you talked about the experience of some of the people from web two coming into web three, like, I feel like it reminds me of like old school in a way. I, I'm not sure I'm articulating it quite the way I want to say it, but do you feel kind of what I'm saying? hundred percent. I mean, and it's, it's, it's amazing because there's some people who let's say if somebody's aspiring to try and get a project done, they need to get in touch with certain types of people or whatever. And that might be difficult because of gatekeepers and just the corporate structure that exists with, you know, just the process of getting through to people and getting meetings done and arranging meetings. Now people just jump on Clubhouse, you know, they follow each other. Right. Twitter, right. you know, and it's just th it's cross generational too, right? And cross pollination, yeah. 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 You know? No, I was gonna say cross generational. Um, like, are you seeing like when you're on? I'm sorry, I interrupted you again. Like when you're on social or audio, like you can see like somebody in, you know, Gen Z, for example, helping out somebody in the Boomer generation because like we're all so new to it that we're we're all bumping along, figuring out the language, how 100%. to work together. Exactly, I mean, it's a whole new type of networking and. Uh, getting to know each other and new cultures forming on Clubhouse and, and Twitter spaces and just new lingo and new slang and new whatever. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just things that should take normally 10 years are now taking like six months to a year. Mm. 
<laughs> and what's why I think the next five years is going to be so iconic is the speed at which all these innovations are coming in from different directions, you know, and how all of that fits in together and the new landscape it's going to present us with in like, you know, two years, three years. Because uh, it, it's not, you know, Web3 is, I mean, people talk about NFTs, but Web3 is like the legal system will change, politics will change, uh, art, how art is appreciated, how content is consumed, how people engage in entertainment with each other. Like you can watch uh, movies on things like Beam where you can chat with friends all around the world uh, about the movie while it's on, things like that. Um, and the process of how movies are going to be produced and who's producing them and how are they producing them. Is it a bunch of community members together deciding on the sequel and who's going to, you know, what's going to happen in the sequel? All of this provides a new system of following and reasons for following. And, you know, it's just, there's so much happening that it's so, it's so hard to even predict or even have a business model that's not going to be obsolete in six months. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot happening. For the people that, don't want to be in discord. I, I mean, I think you're probably the person that's managing some of your discord community and, and, you know, the fundraising, like getting people excited about buying an NFT for people who don't want to be on a discord channel to keep up. How are you managing that? That is a challenge because the communication is one of the biggest challenges in the whole NFT space. Why? Because you have to, people need updates. They need to be told everything. I mean, there's people, I spoke to one guy who had 12 camels and he had a, no idea about the movie at all. You know, some people are on Twitter, some people are on Clubhouse, some people are on Discord, some people just go to the website. Some people just get it for the art and it's hard to chase all these different social channels to try and, you know, lock everybody down. So I think definitely in terms of innovation and, and how the space is going to change, I think there'll definitely be something to centralize people's communication and like an amalgamation of Clubhouse, Discord, Connect Club, all of these in one because it's not efficient enough and humans need efficiency and speed. So um, that is one of the challenges, basically, to, to try and update everybody and make sure everybody knows what's going on. Yeah, I find it to be very disparate. Like in Web2, you know, people would go to your website to really that was like the landing page to really understand your portfolio, your idea, your product, your service, whatever. Um, and then if they wanted to get a little personal background check on you, they could scrape your LinkedIn, they could check you out on Instagram, but that, that was like extra and, and people became uh, versed in that. But I find that the NFT projects are in so many different places because they feel like they have to be everywhere that for the average person coming in for the first time, not knowing exactly where to go, you know, like, oh, I'm in a clubhouse room and people are talking about it and they say, oh, well, I just pinned the link in the Telegram channel or and then join my Discord. And, uh, you know, so now you're sending them off to two places is a lot of friction, um, especially if you know, you're, say you're new to those platforms, they require a whole onboarding process in and of themselves. And then all of the dis different Discord managers for all of these different products build out their channels differently. So it's, 
it's it's an, a language kind of to itself. I, I feel like that is so much friction for people. I feel like that can't be sustainable. Um, right. And I could be all wrong, but... No, you're it, totally right. It's not sustainable. Even Elon Musk was saying a very good point. He said, you know, he's talking about the chip that goes in people's brain. And he was saying, at the moment, we're texting with our thumbs. And it's going to get to a stage where it's just not fast enough. Mm-hmm. You know, humans are like that. You need speed efficiency and the best way and the most the speediest and the most efficient way always wins because you know there's people who might be romantic about snail mail and just you're writing a letter and putting it in the post and but you're going to be at a serious disadvantage if you want to stick around in that era and that's why i kind of worry about the metaverse because people sort of talk about oh the metaverse they speak about it as if it's like this new heaven you know on the contrary i'm one of the ones who's like a little bit we don't need it mm-hmm. and but the problem is is you're going to need it because it's it's going to be quicker and faster to interact and get everything done there, to meet people, to agree things, to get things done. You're going to have to be there. And if you're not there, you're going to be at a disadvantage. But what it's going to do for humanity is, is I'm you know, not quite sure about that. I'm not quite uh, bullish. But that's a different topic. I digress. But um, No, I know, agree but, with you, by the way. You know, you need something a little bit central where people can just get things done quickly mm-hmm. because life is sort of like a race, you know, in many respects and um, people need things done quick so um yeah yeah the the metaverse is a, a tough nut to crack for me too i'm i'm not sure how i feel about it because i feel like it's a computer within a computer like we're going into a space where you can watch people um meet and have a and have a conversation um which you could also get a link to a Zoom meeting with the same people. Um, you can, you know, maybe build out a store in there. Um, how that is much different from having a website with like a Shopify attached to it. Um, I sort of feel like we're building Web two products into this metaverse, but they're really not that different you're just entering a different portal but you're it's the same and maybe they're avatars or you know they look like animated characters but you're not really changing the usability to me like i'm not really sure um i'm not against the metaverse i love the creative part of it like i would you know maybe love to create some sort of wearable jewelry that people could buy there like i understand the marketing side of it but I just don't see how it's so vastly different from how we're operating now. It's just a parallel, a virtual parallel. The people who were in fashion before are in fashion in the metaverse. People who were in, you know, movies before are in movies in the, in, in, in the Web3 era, you know? And it's just, you know, it's the same thing, but it's just a lot more charged and fast-paced. And, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, that, that would take me on to a completely different conversation. It's a huge topic, but... <laughs> Honestly, I think it's like, I think it's something that personally, I'd like to slow down. People work seven days a week now. Most people you speak to have zero time, zero time. They can't even respond to text messages. And I'm one of them. And like, you know, they're either sleeping all hours as well because you're dealing with Shanghai, you're dealing with LA, Vancouver, Miami, London, you know, and it's, it's this crazy period where it's just seven days a week and sometimes 24 hours. I remember the old days of like, uh, you know, Gordon Gecko and Wall Street said money never sleeps. Crypto and Web3 is just 
multiply that by 100, you know? So it's it's weird. It's a weird phase we're all in. I agree. I feel like I haven't stopped. I mean, I have my podcast um, and I'm constantly sitting in rooms trying to curate the perfect guests to have on, but that takes a long time sitting in clubhouse and Twitter spaces and listening, like really listening, like who is bringing something really interesting to the table that people should be hearing about, uh, somebody who's iterating differently, using the model differently, or is just um, a cool person I want to have on. But it requires a lot of bandwidth and a lot of time. And then I don't think people re realize, like even for me, to create an educational platform like I am also requires me to be listening, reading and researching all the time. And I find that like, I'm not, I don't have any time either. I can't even believe how many hours I work. Sometimes I'm like, I got to shut it down. Like I, I cannot yeah. be moderating a room in clubhouse at, you know, 10 PM after I've been going all day long and I have interviews the next day. Like it's, I don't know what happened with time. Like you said, like it's, it like has all, all guardrails that we we've created for ourselves have like vanished. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it even gets to the stage where uh, you text somebody or call somebody and they text back on a Sunday and, and they say, I'm with family and you almost get offended because mm -hmm. how can you not, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right. And that's, how I'm can you not answer me? Literally, you know, <laughs> and not, not even a meme, but just how can you take that stance? You know, you know the world we're in, you know how fast paced everything is, things need to get done. We can't wait till Tuesday or Wednesday, you know, and like you have to step back and think, okay, is it, is it actually good? You know, yeah. I mean, there's a lot to gain from it. And I think that's why there's a bit of a race at the moment. People want to be dominant in the Web3 era. They want to be dominant in their industry. It's all understandable. But um, yeah, I think everyone's going to collectively realize at one stage, okay, we need weekends again, you know? Yeah. And, well, I um, think like if you think about the old, well, not old model, but if you think about Wall Street, it ran on a different clock. Um, whereas once we introduced cryptocurrencies, which have no clock, um, I think that was part of that shift because yes. like you're saying, it's running 24, seven, 365. So, um, the way people want to manage their money, track their money, build their, their net worth, um, operates differently when they can do it at 2 AM Eastern standard time. Right. Whereas maybe they couldn't do it before because wall street wasn't open. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They close at four o'clock and, you, you know, they go home and, you know, so, um, but we'll see. I mean, I think it's just this transitional period where people see so much opportunity in the NFT space. I mean, like what we're doing is, is it tremendously exciting. It keeps you going and you have to just get it finished. I mean, both the storyline itself is like, it's so iconic and it's, it's really relevant for the time we live in. And, um, and then just to be able to, uh, disrupt and introduce a new model like this that will be introduced into Hollywood. I mean, imagine a situation where a studio can make a hundred million dollar movie and through DeFi, through yield farming, they can make half of that money or potentially all of that money back before principal photography. And this doesn't just have to apply to uh, Hollywood. This could be shipbuilding. You know, you're building an oil tanker for $50 million. It's funded by NFTs. The people who own the NFTs have their money back before the ship is even built. And then it's just ongoing earnings from you know freight rates and things like that. So the DeFi and how it's going to be able to 
add some like risk mitigation and buffers to business processes, that's where I think uh, you know it could bring billions back into the movie business because not just from the financial element, you know, through DeFi, but also the collaborative element as well. With all the things that we're talking about, like on Clubhouse, on Twitter Spaces, you're interacting with digital artists, score composers, uh, producers, cinematographers. They're all there doing their thing for their own reason, and they're all wanting to collaborate. And it's raising the question of things like, are A-listers as important as they were before? Do we even need A-listers? We can collaborate with people within our community. People know about the movie. It's got so much press. You know, do we really need an A-lister? Okay, maybe one, you know, to peg things and to uh, satisfy a bit of the Web2 world that, that's still dominant at the end of the day. You know, we still need the distributors to be satisfied. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of change. I think I think this is going to bring millions and millions back into the movie business and people getting more involved in the movie business. I'm often asked, does my business need a podcast? My answer is yes, that nothing else is the fast track into thought leadership and being established and seen as the expert in your industry as podcasting. What's increasingly evident is that it's a branding machine. It kicks doors open for you to have conversations with leaders. It creates a pathway to partnerships and connections on a deeper level. You will not be your industry's best kept secret. Your ideas and business will have global reach. So step into your power. Go to hollyshannon.com to launch your podcast now. And now, back to our interview. Well, you know, this is now a left field question. What is your feeling on influencers then? Oh, that's a big question. So um, <laughs> I had to throw that in when you said A-listers because it's kind of the same thing. Well, we're in an era where people can become famous overnight. And that's the thing with A-listers. They were of value because they had more visibility and fame than other people. People know them, they relate to them, they might respect them, and they're familiar with them. And for that reason, it's easier to sell tickets because you know that person on the screen. Now, you have a YouTuber, you have an MMA fighter who might do... I mean, Khabib, he was the most Googled person in 2022, most Googled sports person. Khabib, the guy who beat Conor McGregor in UFC. And, you know, people can have different values now. That's been disrupted. And not only that, but this Web3 culture, I don't want to say it's anti-establishment again, but it's, it's, it's not anti-establishment. It's just things don't have to be how they used to be before. If somebody wants to be an actor or an actress or, or a producer, there's not as many gatekeepers now, and things can be done a little bit more freely. And the good thing about it is the people who are coming into the space in, in the Film3 space, um, you know, at least they're coming in at a high standard with production backgrounds with you know it's not just a bunch of 18 year olds saying hey let's make a movie and you know what i mean mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. um but with influencers there's two ways to look at that in terms of their value there's definitely value to have them in a movie like this that everybody knows about everybody's watching how it's being produced but in terms of uh liaising with them and working with them on promotion for an nft drop that, that's another story mm -hmm. that's a, another conversation for another day that's that's quite a challenge and some of them are great some of them will test your patience some of them are you know uh, no comment you know so, uh, <laughs> fair yeah. fair i kind of threw that one at you i was just curious about how you felt you know i i um i definitely want to attach um any kinds of uh trailers uh to the show notes on here but i don't think i really gave you an opportunity to share with everybody what the story is about and i think um that would be very interesting do you think you can uh Give us a little yeah, summary. sure. 
So this story is about a character called, it's a true story first and foremost, and it's about a character called Antara. And he was a black slave born in the desert who eventually won his freedom. But after he won his freedom, he went on, he rocketed to stardom. He became the most celebrated poet in all of Arabic history and the most respected knight and like feared warrior, you know. And his story is, I mean, we put it together with the professors of Arabic literature from Oxford, Cambridge, Yale, SOAS. We wanted to do justice to the sort of literary grandeur of this character. I mean, it's the equivalent of the Iliad in the Western world, but it's a true story, which is interesting. Um, he as a character, I mean, his story is the, uh, the Romeo and Juliet of the Middle East. There's a love story in it, but it's also the Alexander the Great of the Middle East. It's about a, the rise of a person who's at the bottom of society and, you know, scales the heights of, of, of aristocracy in, in ancient Arabia. And um, I mean, everybody knows what it's like to be the underdog. The crypto era is the underdog, you know, you know, trying to replace uh, an archaic system which is antiquated and stuck in the mud. Um, so, and then for us to be doing, uh, you know, the first major movie, the first major epic in, in Hollywood history to be done by NFTs, it is a bit of an underdog in a way. So there's lots of parallels. And commercially, aside from the passion of the story and the inspiration of the story, it's the right time in the Middle East as well. Because in Saudi Arabia, they opened cinemas for the th first time in like 30 years. Um, they had a ban for 30 years on cinema and then they're, you know, really open for business now. I think Abu Dhabi and Saudi Arabia are really competing against each other to see who's going to be the, the film hub of the Middle East. And they're both putting millions into uh, into the film business and the infrastructure. So to have their Alexander the Great as a big epic to be done with Hollywood backing and Hollywood uh, distribution and Hollywood producers, it's a perfect storm, perfect time, perfect story. And, it's, you know, we were very lucky that we had all of the things in place before we were, you know, before we uh, embarked upon the NFT journey, uh, like the director, the producers, the script, schedule, budget, license to shoot in Saudi Arabia, our tax credits, which are going to be tax flowed in advance, which is fantastic. Um, and our team is fantastic, like Gerard Butler, um, uh, sorry, Stuart Sutherland, he just finished Gerard Butler's movie. Another one of the producers, he just financed House of Gucci. Um, our director, his last six films, he's grossed like $700 million box office. Um, our bonding company, they've bonded like 7,000 films since 1949. We've put together a top pedigree team for the production. So, um, But the story itself is the real driver. It is an epic story. I mean, if you read this guy's poetry, he, you know, we think because we're in this century, we think we're so clever. We think we're so intelligent with our innovations <laughs> and our whatever. But... When you read the poetry of this character, his sophistication, his, his articulation, his intelligence is so bold. It's, it's such a, it's really striking. So, um, and he's got this duality about him where he's, he's, he's obviously he's, he's a slave, but he's, he comes from noble blood. Like his father was a noble. Um, and in his poetry, you'll see like extreme violence. But when he talks about romance, it's like the most sophisticated way of approaching romance. You know, really impressive. So, um, so yeah, Antara. There's not that much on him. Like there was a Russian composer who did a symphony on him. Uh, there's a, a professor of Arabic literature, James Montgomery. Um, he translated 50 of his main poems into English in 2018. And they actually tried to make this movie Antara in 2010. 2010, yeah, with uh, Dwayne Johnson. Um, hmm. But it was premature in the Middle East. They weren't ready for it to receive the, you know. Um, the industry was closed, right? Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't that developed, yeah. Yeah. Um... 
we could possibly, if you have, you know, maybe a piece of poetry that you think would be interesting as a PDF, and then of course to, we could proper, properly source, of course, in, in the translation, I could put that in the show notes too, in case that might be of interest to people to, from a depth perspective to understand the character, you know, even more deeply. Um, I, a couple other left field questions for you because I, I love those. But um, and, and I, sorry to interrupt. On that yeah. note, before you go to that, is this is why we wanted to attract a certain type of audience because I know that the whole Discord world is not sustainable. Not everybody's going to be spending time there. We've already spoken about how nobody has any time. Yeah. You know, nobody's going to be sitting on Discord all day, every day. So we have to account on the provision for that. So with this story, this is why we wanted to attract people who have appreciation for that level of depth, you know, to own a piece of Troy as a physical picture that paint that you know a physical you know a nice sheet glass frame that hangs on your wall you've got it in your metamask and you've got it on your wall and it's your ownership of a, of a, of a classical timeless epic like you know if you had given anybody the opportunity to own a piece of troy which is still streaming 20 years later and making money um to own a piece of that one of your favorite movies i'd want to own it and i don't buy that many nfts by the way i'm i'm you know i, I really don't um, but if I could own, let's say, Crouch and Tiger, Hidden Dragon, or Gladiator, to say that I own a piece of it, I'd, I'd be proud. So I, we're going with the same sort of, uh, you know, and that's why we speak so much and we go in so much depth about the psychology of this character, what it means in people's hearts, and, you know, um, just he, him as, as a personality. It's, it's, uh, it's something that when we go into depth, when we go into real depth on it, it's something that really will, uh, it occupies a good space in people's mind, basically. And I think actually reading poetry that he has written helps you um, feel closer to that character, which is why I kind of want to include something there if we can. Um, yeah, but that absolutely. Might be I mean, yeah. even his, one of his, I mean, I don't remember all of his poetries, but one of them really summarizes his character. He says, and if they ask you about me, tell them that I plunge into the uproar of war, yet I abstain from the spoils. And this is Antara. He was known for, when he goes into battle, he only goes for the champion of the opposing side or the top three champions. As soon as they're dead, he withdraws from the battlefield. And when it comes to time to sharing all of the spoils of war, all the gold and whatever, he doesn't touch it and he leaves it. And he did that to show his grandeur of character, to not, to not touch any of that money. He, he, he's the one who gets the victory, but he doesn't touch. And that is like, when you dwell upon, I mean, that's like Floyd Mayweather winning the you know, world championship, the boxing, whatever, and the prize money of 50 million. And he says, keep your money. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. Yeah, you're there for the that. principle, right? You're there for the principle. And nobody does that. And honor and, and nobility in this day and age is like, a, it's on life support, you know? So, <laughs> well said. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, so now I am going to give you my left field question. Um, I noticed in your profile that you love fencing horses and horseback archery. So is there a way through maybe like AI or something to like replicate your natural movements in say a horseback ride and put that in the movie so that like you are a part of it, you're part of the action in some way? I know it's such a left field question, but. Yeah, you're, you're spot on. And this is the era we're going into. And this is why it's so interesting. I mean, there's actors. I found out the other day there was an actress who, uh, the the people who manage her uh have a 3d scan of her whole body and her face and her voice and they're allowed to put her in any movie and she doesn't even need to be there 
and they own the rights to that. So we're oh. going into Oof. a really weird era. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's I mean, a Drake, name, image, likeness, intellectual you know property I mean? nightmare in the making, in my opinion. You know what I mean? And uh, that, that's literally somebody selling, you know, I don't want to say selling themselves, but you know what I mean? And I mean, Drake, for example, he owns the uh, the rights towards uh, to the, I think it's the hologram of either Tupac or Michael Jackson. He owns the hologram rights. So if you ever have a hologram of, you know, a 3D hologram. So we're entering into a really interesting era and it's interesting in the sense because it lowers the cost of film production as well. Like a camera that would cost, let's say, $100,000 20 years ago, you'll do a better job now on a camera that costs $2,800. So the cost of production is going down and the quality is going up. So, um, but yeah, things like this can be done. Um, yeah, and the, the, the speed, like I say before, I always say it, the speed at which innovation is, is flooding the space is just, it's going to make the next three years look so different, the type of things that people are going to be able to do and how they're going to be able to do them. Yeah, you'll want to do your movie all over again. <laughs> yeah. You have an image of how you're producing it now, right? And then three years, you'll be like, gosh, we just waited. <laughs> Literally, yeah, you know, you're, you're spot on. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, so is there a goal date for production to begin? Yes, we're scheduled to shoot uh, October. It's a 10-week shoot, 25 weeks post-production. So, um, and the score, we gave actually the, the score, we sent the project to Hans Zimmer some months back. Um, and we were trying to get him to collaborate with a Middle Eastern artist because we wanted to have a nice balance between a uh, Western orchestra and the right ratio of, of Arabian melodies in the score um, to make it an international epic. I mean, it is a Middle Eastern story, but we want to make it an international movie. We don't want to just make an Arabic movie. You know what I mean? We want to mm -hmm. make it international for everybody. So, um, so yeah, October is the date. And uh, we're going to be going location scouting sometime between now and then. Some of our community members uh, from the NFT community will bring with us for the experience. And um, some of them are going to be obviously being extras in the movie and having parts in the movie and things like that. So some oh of them will God. be there. That's so we'll so have exciting. lots of video. Exactly. And it gives us an opportunity to have so much uh, behind the scenes footage of how the movie was made you know, the first big NFT movie like this, how it happened, how the NFT campaign took place, how the, you know, everything with the community members. And uh, and that leads back to even like the Lamborghini giveaways, you know, all of that will be on camera. You know, the Lamborghini being delivered and their response and their reaction. Right. We want to have loads behind the scenes with this project. That is really, really cool. Um, do you need all of the NFTs to be sold in order to begin? Like, do no. you have, no, okay, all right. Just, uh, just, 3,000 between now and let's say July, it's a really low target, you know, and um, there's other NFT projects that do 20, 30 million, and it's literally profile picture NFTs. So we're actually creating something of a tremendous, tremendous value, which is going to up the bar in terms of what utility and what people expect with getting an NFT. It's a piece of art, but it's also IP ownership of an actual epic. Um, and this is really good for our floor price as well, because if you an NFT a Ferrari, a, you know, a classic Ferrari, which is worth $400,000 and you split it into, let's say, a thousand NFTs and everybody owns one each. Nobody's going to dump that NFT. You know what I mean? They'd only mm -hmm. sell it because you've got real value, which is pegged to value in the real world. And that's, that's the secret to NFTs. Rather than just having some inflated uh, digital value, if we can bridge the gap between having the digital value, even if it does get inflated and goes out of proportion on the secondary market of people you know, are selling our NFTs for 15 ETH in the future because it's a collectible, fair enough, but we still have that floor of real world value. 
um, pegged against, you know, pegged with, with our NFT, which is the interesting thing. So um, I think we'll see a lot more of that. And already now with this conversation we've been leading since last year, so many more film NFTs are cropping up. And now the Twitter spaces uh, uh, subject lines are, our, NF- our movie NFT is the next alpha NFT. Our movie NFT is the next blue chip. And I think, yes, absolutely. Why? Because it has more mileage and meat on the bone, so to speak, than profile picture NFTs. Uh, even music NFTs are becoming very popular, but it's just the, the album or the song of the artist. But with movies, you have the actual collectible, you have uh, memorabilia, you have the script that can be NFT'd, you can have the score that can be NFT'd, you can have airdrops for future things like uh, sequels, uh, you know, series, franchise, uh, toys, merchandise, licensing, all of that is a lot of, uh, you know, imagine owning part of Star Wars, for example, which is still going 20 years later, more sequels, toys, everything. So the value proposition with movies, more so than anything else, um, I think the value is there. And if I thought it was somewhere else, I'd be in that industry instead. Hmm. No, it's very interesting. I, I have a friend that's in the uh, movie business that is looking to do exactly what you're doing. He's been talking about it for the last six months with me. Um, so I think you're right. I think it's it's definitely um, a more interesting proposition compared to some of the other ways people are using NFTs. Although I, I do like some of the other ways. I, I like sort of the... Um, that one of one artist that's just a yes. purist that's been maybe doing amazing photography and, and they put out that one piece or a painting that they take a JPEG of. Um, I love that there's like that um, bridge between, you know, um, what they've done before with the new technology and maybe they don't even have to go any further than that. They don't need a Discord channel. They don't need all yes. of that. They just maybe need to show up on like clubhouse to share their project and and make it sell so i i like that there's two ends of the spectrum there but i agree with you with the film industry it definitely would be um a movie is a more robust value proposition in the end yeah and the, the, it has so much life in it in the sense that so many people can collaborate on it i mean in the film production you have like you know 200 between cast and crew but then extending that to the community as well you can have so many people promoting it, helping with the promotion, helping with the box office. The community act as a network as well. They sometimes bring investors, sometimes they bring, uh, you know, introduction to other distributors around the world. The community can do some amazing things if it operates like an ant colony. You know, there's really big power in numbers. And if you're doing it for a good cause, a just cause, an inspiring cause, that's, I think, the real sweet spot of an NFT and an industry and a community coming together. Like, that's the sort of epoch of its of it you know it's, it's the sort of limit of, of nft's evolution to get to that stage where you can you know really do some amazing things yeah i mean a, a lot of projects are built with a social good component i don't know that you had that in yours i didn't see that necessarily but i think maybe your social good is um sharing a um a, an a piece of history um in a new way and um letting that underdog story take on a diversity that what hasn't really been seen a lot in cinema. So I sort of feel like you have a social good piece built in, but I don't think you designed yours with, and I could be wrong, like a percentage that's going towards a charity or something like that. 
And we didn't because we have so much weight upon our shoulders and uh, uh, responsibility to get the film production done. So every single piece of everything that comes from this all goes to the film production. Mm-hmm. And um, But we do have plans with the Arabian Camels brand. We have, uh, have a Save a Life uh, NFT, which we're planning to launch, which is basically fractionalized ownership, which we were speaking about before. And, you know, there's some people who might need a new kidney or a new heart or, or a new organ, and it costs maybe $70,000. And with us as a community, you know, with, with $50 each, goodness, we could save a life every month, you know. Mm-hmm. And we have been talking about that but amongst ourselves within the community. Things like that we're planning. Um, we're halfway up Mount Everest, so by, we're at base camp now. Not me, obviously, with uh, some of our... Uh, uh, they arrived at base camp uh, a couple of days ago. So between now and May, mid-May, they'll arrive, they have to acclimatize. So, you know, stop at places along the way, get used to everything. Um, so mid-May, we should be the first NFC community in history again to to, to uh, plant our flag on the peak of Mount Everest. And then, um, you know, people say, okay, what does that even mean? But it's just the spirit and the culture of what we're trying to do. And then we've got a, an Atlantic crossing as well, where 10 of our community will be able to cross the Atlantic between Portugal and Bahamas. Um, why it's just that spirit of adventure, you know, spearheading new areas of life and uh, owning a movie together, Everest together, crossing the Atlantic together. We plan to cross the empty quarter together, things like that, saving life together. Um, you know, there's even plans we have with Formula E, um, which we haven't really announced yet, so I'll not talk too much about it. Um, but yeah, there's a lot we're planning, and that's what you should have with an NFT community go from strength to strength because, you know, you can do great things with, with a community really great things. I love this story, Alexander. Thank you so much. I I, I want to end on this note where, you know, people are climbing Mount Everest and cl- crossing the ocean together and building a, a new model for, for movies with NFTs. So um, thank you so much for coming on Culture Factor. This was uh, an amazing interview with you. Pleasure.